so now I want to transition out. So uh, two theological pieces are the mission of the church and who the church is. And let's say we get to a point. Let's say we get to a point where a board, a leadership team, elders, pastors, they get together and they're like, okay, we want to realign our mission statement as a church to at least somewhat resemble uh, the great mission and what disciples of Jesus were meant to do from the beginning. And so they get aligned in that. Moreover, the, they start uh, trying to communicate to the church uh, what things like members actually means and, and that it's stuff like body parts. So they start to talk about what the bride of Christ is and what when Jesus returns, what it'll look like, that we're actually waiting for a real real king to return. And so let's say we get all the way along. A lot of times what happens is it's like, okay, well, we're getting some traction here, at least theologically. We're back to maybe the basics. But then what? A lot of times if a church can get realigned that way, they don't know a lot of times what to do next. How, how does the theology impact what we do? We're thinking different, we're feeling different, but now we need to actually do something with this. And this is where we get into um, more of the philosophical options. And it often in churches in Western culture relates to policies and ministries. And yeah, in a lot of these areas that we talked about, like growth in the Middle Eastern and Asian church, they're, they're not even remotely considering policy. A lot of them are in fear because there's persecution or uh, it, it's just... It's just so not organized, but we're kind of in a situation where we're over-organized and we kind of need to now dismantle the organization. A lot of times what needs to happen as soon as the the mission gets on point and uh, the church is kind of realigning who they are or what they are, the board or the, the leadership starts to look at their policy manuals and procedures and be like, Wow, this all of a sudden doesn't look the same. And they don't know what to do. Well, I would suggest that, that one parable in particular, one parable in particular can, can get us on a starting point. Okay, it's a well-known parable and we'll quote it lots. Uh, one of the most well-known parables that Jesus gave, but it's well-known because it holds real, real weight philosophically in how we do, how we speak, how we act, how we live out. And so in uh, Luke 15, three through seven, uh, Jesus tells the people, tells the disciples a parable. And, um, uh, and, and also at this point, there's Pharisees and there's scribes there and they're not happy with them. And, and so he, he's trying to rework this whole religious system that he's in. And, and I think this is why it's important. Jesus said these words in a very religious, traditional, organized, structured system. And I think this is why it helps us so much if the Canadian churches may be stuck in this regard. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost? until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. 
Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I think we have a situation in Canada where we do have some big groups or some, some groups of righteous people. Like legitimately, they're, they're the saints. They're, they're doing good. They're living the good Christian life. And I think what happens is, is we get super excited about the saints hanging out. You know, uh, buzzwords in, in uh, English culture would be words like times of fellowship. And we get more excited about a time of fellowship together as Christians, as righteous people, than we do someone coming to know Jesus. And, and we don't want to maybe admit that that's the way it is, but how we, how we act and, and the philosophy how we think is kind of leaning that way. And, and it's not like it's a new human problem. This is actually quite a long-standing human problem. And it's not an English-speaking or a Canadian problem. It's a long church problem. It's a problem that Jesus was trying to address back then. And I think he's still trying to address back then, uh, even now. And so what I would suggest in, in how we take the theology of the mission in the church and how, we can, how can we move that forward is, is something I like to call gospel first, okay? And it's, a, it's a, asking ourselves constant questions. Um, so you want to go to the next slide there, Andy? Thanks, bud. So the question is like, how will our, and you can fill in the blank, how will our impact the lost? So we can start with like some core things that happen in church life in Canada. So let's talk about prayer and planning. In our prayer, often in the Canadian church, it's very focused typically on uh, people who are sick, which they need prayer, without a doubt. We want to pray for that they heal. We usually uh, pray for our leaders in our church, maybe our leaders in our country. Uh, we pray a lot heavily for people in our church. We pray extensively often for righteous people. But there can be a shift in our prayer. What does it look like when we put gospel first? That means that the majority of our prayer now is spent on lost people. It doesn't mean that we don't name people in the church that need help or need care. But in our prayer, we actually pray for people who don't know Jesus more. And like, I'm talking like way more. I'm saying we name 10 lost people for every one Christian. And you're like, well, I don't know if I know enough lost people. That, okay, that's a problem. You need to go meet some people that don't know Jesus. But when we start praying that way, I'm telling you, things change. Because then what happens when we start praying and naming and talking to God more about lost people, not that we're ignoring found people, but we're just spending a concerted effort on that, we start planning in that regard because we're so thinking about it. We start, we start just thinking in that way. So all of a sudden, as individuals, maybe we plan to drop off, I don't know, we drop off cookies at someone's house. When you're praying for lost people extensively, then you start thinking of who you're going to drop off cookies for. Well, now you have a 10 to 1 ratio that I'm going to drop off 10 plates of cookies to lost people and one to found people. You start planning that way. And when churches start planning that way, it happens differently too. When they start planning initiatives and things to do, uh, church leaderships, they start saying, okay, how will our plan in this thing impact the lost? 
it's going to have zero impact on the lost. Okay, well, maybe we should plan something different. And, and so then we move into preaching and teaching. All of a sudden, the pastors or the teachers, the Sunday school teachers are starting to think, okay, wait a second. Is there going to be kids in my class that don't know Jesus? Is there going to be students in my youth program that don't know Jesus? Is there going to be people? Because now I've been praying that 10 lost people find Jesus for every one person in the church that's doing good with Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, what happens is Jesus is like, oh, they're getting it. And because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and because the church is going to prevail, he starts sending people. And people start showing up at your door, clubs, sports, work, and church. And so now the preaching and teaching starts to change. And now all of a sudden, when, when you're a preacher or a teacher and you start going to teach a lesson, you're like, man, I'm making a lot of assumptions that everyone in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. And for those of us that preach and teach and for online and for those of you that are in my class and kind of prepping, you know, I felt this for, for myself is I start looking out at a congregation when Jesus starts bringing people in. And you start seeing, okay, wait, I know they don't know Jesus. And I know that they've never even cracked the Bible. And I'm going to start talking about justification. They're like, what's justification? And to be honest, some people in our church are like, what's justification again? And so we have to start preaching and teaching differently. We, we preach, okay, how will our teaching on justification impact the lost? It's an important doctrine, just like sanctification and salvation and trinity and these huge theological things. But we have to now, instead of just floating them off and assuming people know, we have to say, okay, we got to slow this down and explain what this is so that the power of these theological statements can stay. Well, then something interesting starts happening. Then it starts impacting your policy and procedure because typically in the local Canadian church, policy and procedure manuals are massive. And they are almost entirely for churched people. And so there's a lot of times there is like serious, serious barriers built into policies that the new believer can know, cannot serve, can't uh, do anything really. They can do nothing. They can give their money. We're always cool with that. You, even if you don't know Jesus, we'll take your money. But you want to do anything else? Oh, well, you have to go through. And there's always this big, huge procedure and policy manage, manual. And I, I have to ask, like in the early church, when 5,000 people are coming to know Jesus, I really want to know what did the policy and procedure manage, uh, manual look like for those apostles? Because when things start growing and people start showing up, we start asking, how will our policy impact the lost. Now, I'm not saying we throw at all policies and procedures, but what starts to happen is you start looking at your policy and procedure in the light of, okay, this guy just showed up and he just gave him his life to Jesus, and this policy may actually send him back out the door. How important is that? And because if we go back to the lost sheep, he's important. And supposedly, he's more important than all the people that have been in the church for years. And that doesn't feel right all the time in church world. It doesn't feel right to longtime church when you say, you're actually less important. Because we want to say, oh no, they're all just as equally important. But Jesus is like, he's talking to Pharisees and leaders and church, like, like these are the religious elite. And, and he's saying, okay, they're living righteously. They're doing everything right. But the, this is more of a celebration. Well, then eventually what happens is now you start, now 
the, the tentacles of budgets and ministry start really getting impacted. And then you start saying, how will our budget impact the lost? Because most churches that are facing decline, one of the easiest ways that you can tell and, and give them a clue if you're going to do a consultation, if you're going to unpack this with your church, okay, let me see your budget, your annual budget. And if 98% of it is for church people and 2% is for the lost, it's like your prayer. You know, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so the church's heart is on the righteous. The church's heart is not on the lost. And so when that starts to flip, the prayer's flipping, the plan's flipping, the preaching, the budgets, well, then the ministry starts happening differently. Children's ministry not only is still discipling children that have grown up in the church, but now they're discipling and teaching in such a way where a child who's maybe 10 years old, eight years old, first time in the church, they can still be involved. And they don't feel bad about not knowing a whole pile of Bible verses and the gold stars on the wall for all the Bible verses that all the church kids have memorized. And they're like, oh, I only got one star. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, wait a second. How does that look towards a child? Not that we don't want them to memorize scripture, but maybe we don't want to display that they're less than. Maybe we want to display that they're more than. And everything starts to shift in the ministry. And then all of a sudden, we can see the church grow. One of the advantages when churches start to experience a lot of salvations in new people, um, it starts to uh, reset things because people who are long time being a part of the church are now not the majority. And so the discussions and the conversations are all of a sudden really new and fresh. And people are starting to share ideas like the first time they may be read through Romans and they're discovering all this the theology in Romans all the time and they're explaining it to a church member and a church member's like, I knew all that, but for some reason when I listen to you talk about it, it's new for me again. And sometimes as longtime church members, the best thing that we can have is new believers right beside us and it revitalizes us. It brings us new life and vitality. And you'll have way deeper conversations with Christ in your own personal walk the more you hang out with people who have just met him because they are so excited about him and to be with him and to belong with him and to serve him and be a part of him that it's <laughs> addictive to, to hear about how good and great he is even though you knew it all along. And so how will the church impact the loss? That's really the big question. We have seen the stats that there's a steady decline, and we have three options. Every local church, rural, urban, north, south, east, west, in Canada, we have three options. We can get discouraged about it and say, look at those numbers. It's just, we're just going to go down to a few people. Maybe it will. I don't know. But we could just get discouraged. We can get apathetic and just say, well, I'm going to die soon. Not my responsibility. Or we can get motivated about it. And we can start really starting to ask deeper questions and really trying to find new answers. And I know for me, like, why am I so obsessed with church revitalization? Why am I so obsessed with the church getting back on mission and, and, and really finding out who they are, the beautiful, poetic, theologically deep thing they are? And, and, and why do I want 
every Christian have a gospel focus is because I firmly believe that, that one day Jesus is going to return. I, I believe that. Either I'm going to die or he's going to come back. And when he comes back and I stand before him, and he is my king, my savior, my lord, my master, my, my point of worship, I want to be able to say, I did everything I could with the life you gave me to try to reach the lost in my community. And moreover, because of the time period I was in, I did everything I could to try to help the church that I'm in, the Canadian church. And, and so some of what I, I believe to be true and to talk about in Christian circles, it's not popular. If it was popular, more churches would be doing it. But I do believe if you look at the churches that are starting to turn things around, that some of the concepts, the core concepts that I've explained today are some of those core things that, that they've taken on as a root. And from that, they've experienced new growth. And uh, so uh, I'll stick around for questions. Obviously, you can hang out and, uh, and, and, and talk. Um, but let me just close in prayer. And thank you so much for being here. Looks like I'm done five minutes early, which is always nice. And thank you so much for those of you online. I am going to post the podcast and the video. And to you and my class and my prof, you guys will get my stuff uh, soon enough, early tomorrow in the morning. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much. Uh, first of all, we, we thank you that, for sending your son, Jesus, uh, that he became our point uh, of salvation, redemption, justification, so that we can come before you, a holy God. And for whatever reason, uh, the statistics show that the Canadian church has a little bit lost our first love. We somehow got mixed up somewhere. We, we don't know really who we are anymore. We don't know how to tell people about you. We don't know how to adequately uh, pray for what, where your heart is at. We, we're lost a, a little bit um, without a better way to state it. Uh, Father, I pray that you would revitalize us, that you would uh, burden us for the lost, that you would convict us of areas where we're prideful and arrogant and uh, uh, convict us of, of policies and procedures and preferences that we're holding to tighter than your mission and that we would let go of those and that we would walk through each day of our life and that you would bring names and faces of people who don't know you and that we would spend more time praying for the lost than we would for each other. Lord, we do want you to heal people in our church. We want you to pour out new discipleship opportunities. We want you to heal marriages and mental illness. We want you to heal cancer and diseases. And uh, we want you to um, uh, grow us spiritually that we might grow in depth of knowledge and wisdom as a Canadian church. But we also ask that you would draw people to yourself through your spirit. And that even this Sunday, you might bring people through the doors of our local churches that they, the nuns, they have no affiliation, they have no understanding of you, but for some reason they showed up on the doorstep. And that we might not uh, shun away from them or shy away from them, but that we would embrace them. And that they would become the focus of our hospitality and our welcome. And that we might focus on the lost sheep potentially returning more than we focus on the uh, found. Give us opportunities, challenge us. 
cause each one of us individually bring new people into our lives and our workplace and our neighborhoods. May they show up on our doorstep to challenge us and, us and push us and, and help us break down our preferences. Father, we just ask that one day when we stand before you and we stand alongside King Jesus reigning in, in, in our new eternity, that you might have said to us, well done. We just want to do a good job with what we have. Lord, please, we ask, revitalize church. Jesus. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, leave some comments and I can answer them afterwards. <laughs>